Welcome to the Big Stomp, the Bunkerzilla radio show that roars at the latest stories and discussions in geek culture today. So, what are we waiting for? Let's start stomping. It's 8pm on Thursday the 27th of August and this is the Big Stomp Live. I am the Raggedy Man, one of the few people on Earth not starring in the Suicide Squad reboot and joining me tonight to stomp through the most interesting stories of the past month, we have three amazing examples of the geek intelligentsia and they are historian, educator, producer and dedicated film fancier, it's Hugh. Hey guys. Streamer, dreamer, code and engineer era, and games philosopher, it's Claire. Evening, evening. And finally, maker, gamer, stomper, and general awesome person, it's the red-headed rambler, Lizzie. Hello, Twitchlings, how are we today? And as always, we have the wonderful, wonderful members of our Twitch chat, firing off nuggets of intellectual and hysterical joy, all those in the good ship peanut gallery, please welcome. And as we make ready for Elon Musk to release the singularity in 24 hours' time, let's go with our first topic, which is Hugh. Right. So um, something I've been quite intrigued by is the feedback online to the uh, Disney's decision to release its live-action Mulan, which was due out earlier this year in cinemas, theatrically, uh, but obviously for obvious reasons, is now being sent to Disney Plus in territories where they have Disney Plus. If it, In other territories where there is no Disney Plus, it will get a theatrical release, and also in those countries where COVID is under control to the point that people can go back into theatres. However, the response online, certainly given it's online, uh, seems to have been pretty uh, powerfully against both the decision and the price point. And I find both the debate around it and the, the, the discussion that's emerged strange, but not un- unexpected and not unreasonable, shall we say. However, um, with people going into to, uh, British cinemas this week, BFI and Max in particular, to see Tenet, the question is, are you willing to risk your life for a movie? Or is 20 quid at home for two days worthwhile? Two days. Uh, right, yeah, so... Right, so Disney, like, okay, Disney Plus already annoys me for many reasons, but, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll gloss over those because we're concentrating on this little cash grab of theirs. So I already have to pay a subscription for Disney Plus. Not that I do, because, again, <laughs> issues. <laughs> and then they want me to pay another 20 quid on top of that to have the movie for two days. So how much no, do you um, pay in the cinema? That, that's, that's not correct. You have the movie added permanently to your account. Ah, so it's twenty quid. It's twenty quid for it to be. Yeah, they cl- they really badly communicated it. Too they right. have now clarified it. So, but even okay, if it was cool. a short, but even if it was a short term rental, twenty quid is actually underselling the normal um, amount they'd usually expect to get because um, the average sort of purchase they sort of expect two parents and two kids kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and usually multiple viewings when you've got kids involved or you've got yeah. like um, opening weekend involved and stuff. So, I mean, purely from a comparing it going to the cinema, um, the price is pretty reasonable. 
Well, that's the way I saw it. I, I, I mean, my first reaction was, okay, I appreciate that for people who are paying for just themselves, I can see why this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't think that that is the majority, or at least Disney don't expect mm-hmm. that to be the majority of the people who see Mulan live action. I think that's the expectation. I think you're right, Claire. I think there's an expectation it will be families, and therefore it looks very good value. Uh, local City World here in High Wycombe is £10 something for an adult evening ticket. So mm-hmm. even if I were to walk locally and see it there, that would be still 20 quid um if i wanted to go somewhere nicer that actually knew how to run a projector properly and clean and, and clean everything and do it right the every man in jared's cross that's 15 quid ahead um and i appreciate that in the states it's 30 dollars they're asking but again this seems to be the back and forth on twitter before amongst other places between people who are either have families or have partners or live in urban situations and therefore it looks reasonable to, versus to, people who don't live in these areas and are some, not you know put some numbers on it the average u.s um cinema ticket is nine dollars 26 um the average household has three occupants so and uh that means that the american they're asking 29.99 um so the average which obviously not everyone is the average but the average family will be paying the same amount as if they were to watch it in the cinema at the Mm. same time Mm. So. And I mean, I'm sure that's the calculation that Disney's made because they're pricing a new product. And when you price a new product, you don't ever price it under what you think it could be. You always price yeah. it at least over. Yeah, exactly. They've also, think- sta- they've also oh. stated um, the Disney chief, uh, Bob Kaplick, said that they're doing it as a one-off and it's essentially being operated as a experiment to see what will happen. This is a follow-up to the experiment they previously did with... Um, oh, God, I've now forgotten the name. Uh, what was the one they did recently? Uh, Onward. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, which was a stray with, where it was going to video on demand. Hmm. See, um, I totally missed Onward's release because I was actually looking forward to that film. And yeah. I mean, yeah. that used to me that it was on demand. I, so, I think it's so. Go on, go on. Yeah. So for me, as a person who is not going to go to the cinema until probably next year at this point, um, for me, like I wanted to go see Mulan in the cinema. I would have paid to go and see Mulan in the cinema because you know you want the big screen experience. But I'm not going to pay twenty quid to have it on my TV when I can just wait until it comes out on DVD and get it for a tenner from Tesco's. But this is the thing. I've been making that calculation now for years. You know, the fact that I gave up on my local cinema for two reasons. One is they have no interest in turfing out audience members who are disruptive. Mm. If it's a minor disruption such as phones. And they refuse to keep up with the lifespan of the bulbs and the projectors. When I pay to go to my local cinema world, what I get in the screen is brown, not the full color spectrum, mm-hmm. brown around the edges of the screen image and a nice gold circle in the middle. Right. And I was like, wait a minute, why am I paying for this when the money can go towards the Blu ray? The Sainsbury's is literally opposite the cinema. I'll wait three months and pay, put the exact same cash. And so, Lizzie, I get that. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely get that. Every man has been an absolute treat. You know, it's like we go once in a while for something that's, that does that big screen spectacle thing. But I do think that for a lot of us, I think 
the choice is uh, it's partly about health you know you're going to be talking later on about health related things that's part of the reason i don't go out as often because cinema times don't often meet my needs as a as a diabetic um certainly it, it stopped me going to film festivals quite badly um, because nobody cares, you know, they'll they'll put no breaks between or minimal breaks between films and you can't really look after yourself in that way without missing no. something. Um, and then the other thing I think that's really relevant here is is that ultimately, what's the risk worth? If if you've got a screen big enough at home and a lot of uh, there's enough people who do. I mean, really, are we? I mean, that's the big thing is I think for a lot of people, their home viewing experience is actually starting to surpass the um, cinema experience. I mean, yeah. especially for the, uh, the middle class and the people who, like if you've got a home cinema system, if you're your average sort of middle income family that has got kids, you're investing quite a lot in your lounge. And that experience is, it, it's quite affordable to make it cinema quality now. I believe I, the average screen size is now, or, or the, the stock screen size mm-hmm. is now 42 inch HD. Yeah. That's yeah, the right. the. The and also, level. you know, if you're a family with kids, I have taken kids to the cinema, not my own, just going to point that out to people, but I've taken kids to the cinema and it is the worst thing I have ever done in my life <laughs> because they want to, they, they don't want to sit still for two and a, for two hours. No, exactly. They don't want to be quiet. They want to ask you questions. They don't like it when it gets dark. They spill mm-hmm. their snack or they need the toilet. And it's like, if you're at home, you can at least go pause, mm-hmm. sort it out. And it's a lot less stressful. I mean, I mean it's funny you say that, though, because, like, in my 20s, I would go and see certain films despite the fact that they were kid-friendly kid and have to sit in a cinema full of kids and parents, and I'm in a 20-something. And, you know, it was a really unusual experience because I saw Jurassic Park 2 that way, and I saw, uh, which was really interesting because there was one kid who was far too young to be in there, and he just screamed and screamed through everything, and, and the mum wouldn't take him out. And it was just like, Childhood oh. trauma is always amusing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah not when I've paid £16 something for it. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite. I will go to the midnight 2 a.m. showings at uh, BFI IMAX because that's just down the road from me, and that'll oh, be, like, nice. the time I go. I go when it's, you know, the middle of the night, basically, and sure. it's the, the, the hope of it's It's like a totally sort of isolating experience, and I do that for the big releases. But I'm like, if I'm going to buy a cinema ticket, I'll go IMAX and I'll go yeah. when I am guaranteed the biggest experience possible. On the subject of time... Um, before people get one, one of the big things to note is that this will be released on Disney Plus eventually. They're saying that I, yeah. no one's quite sure when this is part of an experiment, so we don't know when it will be. But this will be available on Disney Plus. So what people are effectively buying is immediacy. Yeah, hmm. and this is also about geography. Because mm. it's only in those territories where you can't go to the theater. Well, they have said or you that, don't have Disney Plus. That, well, Disney did made a three billion loss in the last three months, mm-hmm. um, and they have said that it's it's due to the current situation. Mm, so, the, the, I'm very curious to see what they're doing here because, as I said, they're doing a different approach. To, to the previous stuff, um, I think they're trying to see what's the, what the result's going to be. And I think yeah. people's reaction to it, and by that I mean actual, not what people are saying online, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the actual money going down 
that's they're going to see what happens there. But I honestly, other than pissing off a huge amount of cinemas, um, I'm not quite sure. But now the really interesting question is if this wasn't a remake, right? Because because it's a remake, I'm in no rush. I'll watch it when it's mm-hmm. um, available. But if you were to say, oh, the new Black Widow movie, they're now going to do that. There we go. That got bumped. Um, Tenant got bumped. Um, then it becomes do i put my pre-order money down and do i turn off twitter and watch it the moment it drops you know is that then the viewing experience yeah and i think that's that's why i think mulan a lot of the criticism that i think is some slightly undermined that is greatly undermined by the discussion we've all had for example this is a deliberate slight against asian americans which really guys when they're trying to make sure it gets out and it makes money i don't know Um, um but but also, I think you I think everything we've all said so far is, is being quite reasonable, and I do think that actually you're right about the fact that there are other films to come. Right now in America, they're having to close cinemas that opened because of the clusters of COVID that are coming out of them. Therefore, Disney can't. But Disney could just go straight out there and say, "Hey, out we go!" Right? But actually, you're right, Andrew, to frame it as a, a tester. Because yeah. if this works, and, and if it does what happened with Universal and Trolls World Tour, you know, 20 million spent on the film, 100 million back in. They've spent 30 million on Mulan. That's definitely, and I have no idea what they spent on Black Widow, but I'll bet you it's a lot more than that. Well, the, mm-hmm. the movie itself, uh, I, the listing I saw was Mulan was about 200 to make. Okay, that's interesting. I had heard it was a lot less. That's really interesting. It wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't. The thing is, Mulan has a lot of Chinese sponsorship money behind it, and we expect it to feature a lot of alterations to the story purely to cater to that market. So so that number take with a grain of salt because a lot of that is Hollywood financing. Also, the the thing with the Mulan is it's not actually a shot-for-shot remake of the animated Mulan. It is actually truer to the original legend of Far Mulan, which I was actually quite excited. It's about the only Disney remake I was actually excited to see because it's not a remake. I I wouldn't even use the remake. I'd say it's the live-action version of Mulan, unlike Lion King, which was basically just a re-skin Fancy graphics. If the point is, no one's rushing because they're worried about getting spoiled. Mm-hmm. Say again, sorry. No one's rushing because they're worried about getting spoiled. Yeah, yeah. It. I'm not quite sure why they decided to release this one and not a couple of other things. I think also there might be this um, because they've they've done the media buy, they've done mm-hmm. their scheduling. If they hadn't released it, when on earth would they? Are, are they worried? It was like a big summer. One of their big summer hits. Yeah, you're running it out of time. Shoves them all back to next year. Yeah, I mean, having attacked this from the DRM side and having been in meetings where we've been talking about technology, technology and, and selling these on to content providers, and you know, I've been in a whole range of meetings from football licensing for a bunch of stuff and all that. So the thing that constantly comes back with these kind of licensing deals is they don't know how many people are watching, they don't know how often they're watching, and they're always worried about the analog hole. The analog hole's largely being closed up, but the real issue it feels like with this is the difference between families and individuals. And until there is any kind of tech, and I don't think anyone would be comfortable with this tech, I don't think we want it, to count how many people are actually watching, which is very doable. But um, as I said, I don't think we as an audience wanted it, and I think the companies realized there would be a backlash for that. But that's what is really getting to yeah. 
is they don't know how many people watch. Well, plus if you're if you're getting it as a permanent, if you're getting it as a permanent addition to your account, that mm. in itself is. I, some some of it is, the, is, I think some of this is due to the fact that everyone was originally sold um, streaming services as a cheaper and simpler option to going to the cinema. Mm. You spent a, you gave them a stock amount of money and you got a whole bunch of videos and you just picked one. That was what Netflix was sold as. Mm. I don't I'm not sure what you're laughing on, but that, that was what it was sold. All right. That was, um, please drink verification. There <laughs> um, was a patent. Yeah. There that was what it was originally sold on. Um, and then things got complicated by Disney Plus basically splitting Netflix in half and being the Disney Netflix, which complicated that an awful lot of people went, oh, my God, how can I afford both services? Which rather than, oh, I have to pick one, it was like, you know, like practically they had to get, find the extra money. And now they're going and complicating it even further by going, well, you can have it, but you've got like these microtransaction elements on it. I think some of it is people, some of the negativity is people just going, what? No, this was supposed to be easy. But, yeah. So um, just Mark made a comment. Everyone's making a loss right now. Hopefully that won't become an excuse for a new normal featuring overpriced home releases. And I agree with that because you say that people are like, oh no, how can I afford Disney Plus and Netflix? I mean, Base Netflix, I think, is seven, nine, seven or eight ninety nine. Seven, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And Disney Plus is the same. But yeah. if think about it, you don't have to have things like Sky TV anymore if, if you've got mm. Disney Plus and Netflix. Because mm. let's be honest, Sky TV was always massively expensive to get anything worthwhile. Mm. But now it's okay. It's maybe what twenty quid a month for the two. Well, and the other thing is these are monthly services that you can mm. cancel. Um, you know, you yeah. could alternate months on these services. There's a whole mm. range of different, like the consumer options are better than they've ever been. Mm. I, I, I can't buy into the argument of it's too expensive because on the creative back end, um, you know, there I, has to be a certain flow there. I don't, I, I don't buy the it's too expensive, but I do... I do accept that a lot of people were sold on the simplicity. You know, you'll just have, you know, Netflix will rule overall. You'll just spend eight quid a month or however much for unlimited stuff on there. And then it got complicated. So it's that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it comes down to month is a pain in the, you know, there are things you yeah. can do, but that takes effort and people are lazy. Swan. The one thing I say about Mark's comment, I don't think this can be used as an excuse. I think, to, to make this the new normal. I think this kind of thing is going to be over the next year, year and a half, two years, while we're going through this strangeness. Because whatever data people get during the COVID will not be as useful once COVID is over. Yeah. So, yeah, but the question is, will actual cinemas, like brick-and-mortar cinemas, survive to the end well, of COVID. Well, because... they weren't going to anyway. This is, this oh, yeah, is... I get it. So it's the adapt or die thing, isn't it? This and, is, yeah, uh... this is an acceleration. I mean, 2005 in South Korea is when they switched to day and date pay-per-view. 
You know, 2005, the bottom fell out of the home video market and they were like, right, okay, the only solution we've got is to go to the cable channels. You know, some cinemas actually bought out a couple, others made made deals. And from then on, it's if you are an ordinary punters, have a choice, stay at home and pay premium the way you do with the sports, like like a boxing event or something, um, or go to the cinema. And over the years, it has enabled certain chains to survive and other chains have died out. Mm. But what it has done is it's killed the Blu-ray DVD market there. You know, and in fact, the only it only resurrected the physical side of it only resurrected in the last three years, thanks to uh, Nova Media, uh, who admittedly are basically running things like a Criterion or the anime model, and they're just doing limited runs, very limited runs, even though it's of new releases. And once they're gone, they're gone. Um, but, and that's where we were all heading. We were always heading that way. It's just how quickly we were going to get there. I don't get me wrong, as someone who grew up with you know, you know, learning how to thread a projector in in junior school and that sort of thing i'm gonna miss it all i already have missed it for years but i also am grateful that actually i've had alternatives available to me health and work and other things have all meant that you know i've done almost almost all of my watching for the last few years from home and i i miss it sure but i get a better experience at home and actually next friday when when um mulan is available is this is the first week of term you know, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of families going, oh, I need something from, you know. The other thing with all this, we've seen this happen with the theatre. We've seen this happen mm-hmm. with other forms of entertainment. Cinema's not going anywhere. There will still yeah. be tentpole cinemas around. It's probably yeah. the local cinema or the second or third cinema that's going to close. Mm. Um but I think especially for premieres and um, those kind of events, I think you'll see cinemas diversify a lot more, you know, renting out screens more um, yeah. for non-premium viewings, like non-box like box office viewings. Well, yeah. I mean, um, View already do things like uh, gl- they do showings of Glyndebourne mm-hmm. on their big screens or, you know, the Royal Ballet or, you know, they do, they're sort of going after the, theater crowd as it were because it's like hey you can come rather than having to slip all the way to london or you know wherever the theater is because you can just come and sit in your local cinema and you can watch these things that's that was transformative to the theatrical world that stuff was Mm -hmm. so important i mean the 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 company that came over and first started that was actually australian and they were they came in and broke that open and it was absolutely brilliant of them because it enabled several cinemas to survive i mean the one up here at Wickai Wickham, which uh, a station controller used to work at, different co-hosts used to work at, loads of people we know at Bunk used to be involved with. Um, that got you know a lease of a new lease of life because of that, but also it kept an older market coming in. But unfortunately, that's the market that COVID is going to hurt now. Um, it already um, is, yeah. And um, before before the COVID hit. Um, my understanding from reports I've been reading is that specialist cinema, the, the smaller seater specialist cinemas were also doing quite nicely because you had, if you have, if you manage your space right and you manage your catalog correctly, you can get in a relatively cheap movie that has, will fill 50 seats because mm-hmm. there are maybe 50 people in your town. As what, you know, I think it was Claire was saying, I, I don't think the, the big temple is not going to go anywhere. And I don't think, the small stuff's going to go. It's going to be, you know, the megaplexes are going to lose a couple of wings on their thousand-acre estates because they're going to have to fill them with something else, which means there's going to be lots of cinema available for LaserQuest to come back in fashion. 
So um, we have in we have in Cambridge we have three three cinemas. I think we have a view, which is a usual bog standard multiplex. We have the light cinema, which is sort they call themselves an independent cinema, but I haven't noticed what makes them different than the view, particularly except they have like higher prices on things. And then we have the arts picture house, which basically shows the weird auteur, you know, French subtitle films and it's you know it's the one that the student the, the film students like to go to and things like that and it's going to be real well okay you yes fine andrew you're a perpetual student obviously yeah <laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see which ones survive covid because for me i like going to the view because they have those big recliner seats it's more comfortable for me i can i don't get like muscle spasms or anything like that i've been to the arts once uh, and I've been to the light maybe twice. Like, but for me, of the three of them, if they survive COVID, the one I'm going to keep giving my money to would be the View. Mm. I don't think. I, th- I think on that one, using the Cambridge example, um, I think that all boils down to who's got the better parent company, because all of the cinemas are going to be so technically suffering equally it is quite a degree it's who's got enough reserves to keep on existing yeah that i think will be the big issue and that comes down to which chain you are all that i, I just according to station controller the arts is owned by Cineworld. yeah mm. but here's the thing you i think you've got there's a gap as well in production now yes. there's a gap which is going to hit fairly soon and despite the postponing to next year and they can stagger these big ones all they want but the the smaller things that would have fitted if in between that are the things that people are not going to want to risk going to now and 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 those are the ones that will inevitably head into digital which is as i said away we're going digital is the is, is the only thing that's keeping a medium-sized budget film alive you know that was being squeezed out of cinemas ages ago so i think it is just this is all yeah, accelerated evolution of something that's happening, but at the same time, where you know, each of us is going to have to make our choice. Where do we put our money? I mean, I've got friends who have gone, like Station Controller, gone back into seeing the these classics that are being rescreened, um, which is cool and great. IMAX obviously doing quite well with Tenet. Um, and to be fair, given that um, I recently shared an article from France from a friend who were pointed out that the only way to see Tenet the way he actually shot it is BFI IMAX. Like none of the others are doing it quite right. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, you know what? Do I risk my life for this? Maybe. You know, I didn't. But, um, <laughs> but you know, the, the friend who said that to me is going to drive 80 miles to a French IMAX to see Tenet. The, my German friend who works in a theater, in a theater, he's going to be going 80 miles to a brand new IMAX to see, to see Tenet. These guys are already going to see the Mars. Safest, safest thing to do, okay? Randomly pick one of your old James Bond DVDs. <laughs> Scratch okay. it, <laughs> put it in, drop a tab of acid. You'll get the full you'll get the full experience. No, don't do drugs, kids. Drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> hey, I, I mean, don't I I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just I'm just trying to get my head around the 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 only way to see the film as I intended it is through an IMAX because oh, yeah, that, I mean like that that comment is just like what's the point? If you can't make it, oh god! Well, just, oh, oh, don't get me wrong, no, Lizzie. No, I agree no. with you. That's the po- that's what's so fascinating is this guy, <laughs> Harry, wrote this. I mean, it's not for everybody, obviously. It's, it's designed that it'll play. You know, it'll it will tr- play. It's what it's about. It's that weird thing where the, you've got somebody saying, "Well, what did he shoot?" 
versus you know it's that whole thing about masking frames which perforations in the 70 millimeter are you exposing blah blah, blah. christopher Holland nolan has to find something new and annoying to do with every movie to make it that little bit more <laughs> cinemaphile no. wanky so I, I won't I won't pull myself out to go see that particular one at IMAX, but I will stand up and I will defend the creatives who want to exp- explore the medium because there's a lot of people who basically want to tick the standardized box and that's the industry standard set. And it's yeah. very risky. And um, outside of basically student projects, the only people who can take these sort of format risks are the people who are in his kind of position. And so for him to take that kind of format risk, I think is brave. That's so it's true. basically a student art film that blew up a Boeing 747. Well, I'm encouraging that. I'm encouraging yeah, that as a student art form. Yeah, it's pushing the format. Um, it you is know. pushing the format, but when you release something which can only be seen in one cinema in the country in its proper context, I'm a yeah, bit... You know what? Like I said, most people are not going to know the difference. Yeah. An interesting article. It's for the hardcore nutters. I just found it really interesting. Yeah. Anyone bothered to sit down and work it out? I, was uh, like... that, I mean, I'm going to freely admit. A friend of mine the other day said, "Oh, are you, you going to go see Tenant?" And I went, "Oh, they've done, they, have they done a, have they done a, a movie about David Tennant?" And <laughs> I, I was like, "I hadn't heard of it. I didn't. I'm, not, I'm still not even sure what it's about. I'll be honest with you." you I was like, "I got." Oh, yeah, but he called it Tenant, so I got really yeah. excited and was like, "Oh, it's about David Tennant!" Like, yeah, Doctor Who. Oh, it's about Lager. <laughs> I, honestly, if Christopher Nolan was to do a film about the life and time of David Tennant, <laughs> we'd all- so I, we'd all go see it. Oh, oh, we've lost Andrew. Um, I also think I think no, I, Ian, you're muted. You're muted. <laughs> I broke station controller. Whoa, <laughs> broke everything. <laughs> Apparently we're not allowed to see the Nolan Tennant film. It's in production. It's super secret. Yeah, but I, I broke station controller with my comment about, you know, Tennant. That was my about. cat's tail hitting the escape key. Oh, so, okay. um... <laughs> Yay, kitty. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I thought I broke in because he came on screen and was sort of yelling and I thought he was yelling at me for not knowing what Tenant or no, Tenant that was literally or what it was about. My cat just swapped the. Yeah, there it goes. There it goes again. Right. Can I just say that I think you've just replicated the experience. I'm done now. Yeah. Okay. Right. Before we before we just move off of this, does anyone have any numbers on the Scoob film? Because didn't that do a digital release? Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. Scoob did. Yeah. I all I know about Scoob is that every parent who has been forced to watch it hates it, but the kids love it. I do have. It's not like trolls in that respect. I think. Yeah, yeah, one set of numbers that people might be interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, Currently, Moolah, based on US dollars and the average price there, would need to sell twenty one million and twenty one point six million tickets to break Hmm. even, or six point six million streams. Oh, it's okay. going to get those. Yeah, so, get those. Station Controller just told us that Scoob hit 14.2 million. Wow. Yeah. Which is that not bad considering yeah. I've heard that's only good. About it. I'll also yeah. say that I'm For about... two weeks ago, that's good. I'm about mm. to not see an X-Men movie, excluding X-Men uh, Wolverine Origins, because that wasn't a movie, that was an abomination 
with a soundtrack. I'm about to not see a uh, X Men movie for the first uh, in the first week for the first time since X Men movies have been a thing, and I would pay to get that on streaming right now. Mm. The New Mutants. So, uh, yeah, same, same. I would. Yeah. We also have a query f- before we head on from just Mark. Are 3D films still a growing property? I never watched them, and I know 3D TV is faltering. My understanding is 3D TV is faltering because no one's really made it so it's yeah. doable. Um, 3D but TV. 3D films are doing quite okay. 3D television sets, no one's making them. Um, yep. Basically, yeah. everyone's got out of it. However, 3D media has never been doing better. My Especially gosh! Is that explosion. a segue? explosion of vr and the broadness of web vr and support for things like youtube uh youtube uh 3d and 180 formats so claire you sound like you know a lot about vr (laughs) is there anything you would like to talk about in relation to vr why yes andrew Wow. I would like to talk about how Facebook has decided to kill Oculus. Now, that sounds somewhat hyperbolic, but it's a slow death. It's a slow mauling that they've done over the years. Obviously, Oculus, for those of you who know, started out as a peripheral that uh, was a Kickstarter, and really it was just a piece of hardware that you plug into your computer. But it became the hottest new trend in Silicon Valley, and everyone wanted a piece of it. And Facebook bought it. And sure enough, when Facebook bought it, uh, Palmer went on to stage and say, or went on to Reddit and all the other places and said, you will never need a Facebook account to use an Oculus because that would be lame. Uh, lo and behold, all of those who sort of sighed at the time and rolled their eyes were correct. And you now need a Facebook account. And 2023, you will require a Facebook account to use um, Oculus hardware. But then um, any new hardware, and Oculus is releasing a new headset in September, uh, will require a Facebook account as well. So it's only old hardware that's grandfathered in. This is coupled with Facebook's privacy policies being really problematic and a lot of scary technology being involved like EKG mind readers for focus and eye trackers. So ad-driven media and VR and Facebook basically turning VR into a subsidized hardware. Fun. Wow, I can see no problems with this other than all of the obvious ones. I mean, I can see the problems with this. Yeah. So that tells you how bad it is. <laughs> hey, I, uh, look, I know my I know my level, and I'm I'm happy with it. But like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sad because Oculus Quest is definitely one of the nicest pieces of VR hardware out there, and it's a standalone unit. You don't need a PC. You don't need anything else. You can say to someone, "Buy this thing. You have VR." Wow. There's no competition for that at the moment. Yeah. It. It was an inevitability, though, because from my understanding, uh, the Facebook login has been being pressed since April of 2017. So, yeah. We, we saw this coming a mile away. It's been a slow process as initially the founders were pushed out. Um, and then we also had a situation with engineers getting fired and troublesome questions. Anyone who's interested in the story of this, I'd highly recommend a book. It's very readable, even if you're not into this kind of thing. It reads like a soap opera, but with all the gory details and truth. Uh, the History of the Future, it's called. The History of the Future, very good book, um, if you're into this at all. Do we know at this point what 
um, Facebook are planning on doing with the Oculus? What is their um, prime market? So the big push is basically, um, and you know, I don't want to just dominate here, but the big push is obviously social VR. They they basically want to own the metaverse. Mm. They want to own the new platform. So there's a thing that's been in development for, for a while called Facebook Horizons, which will be launching in beta soon. They have had some so other social apps. But um, basically, if you want to develop games for VR, Facebook doesn't want to get in your way because Facebook can't make games. But if you're um, big TV, if you're wanting to do movies on VR, if you're wanting to do social applications um, mm. like VR chat, um, you are going to be, and there are a lot of players in these spaces who've been doing a lot of good work for years, you're going to be hard up against Facebook's um, vested interests. And Facebook's going to push quite hard on that. And there's also the flip side of um, because you have to use Facebook real name, if you've got any kind of internet identity or any kind of exploration mm. identity, that's another problematic area. Yeah. I mean, it is possible relatively simplistic to make an account with a fake name but to maintain it and to have any kind of social interactions is and if getting it has problematic. any purchases on it say again if it has any purchases on it yeah it it is mm. it, it is harder to maintain a quote mm. unquote quote fake or alternative or avatar identity on mm. facebook uh mm. which is one of the elements of it that can be quite a pain um, it's also sold as one of its strengths. How long that will maintain, I'm not sure, because it's slowly hemorrhaging the young audience. Mm. So I, the reason I asked about what, what it was aiming for was because it, the Facebook has been massively losing the older audience. And part of that has been not just because one of its biggest influx, one of the biggest new pickup groups is the over 65s um, who have pushed all the horrible conspiracy theories and slowly poisoned the well of political discourse, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's, it's also just because they have the permanency and the real name factor, the, the tweens, the teens and the 20 somethings, they don't want the catalog of their useful indiscretions and dumb haircuts to be maintained. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, because I thought you know, there's a yeah. lot of money out there, but a lot of it isn't necessarily in your real bloody name. So I'm not so, sure how much hell mary it is for Facebook. To answer your question, who they're going after? The the honest answer now is everyone. They're at the position where the Quest has sold enough units, and they're happy enough with the future of VR being comfortable, and they're happy enough in their new offering that they're going to go, well, let's piss off all of the VR establishment because we don't care about those nerds because they are a small audience. Mm. Um, and now let's go mainstream. And that's really what this is a big push about, is now let's go mainstream. Now the, let's get in everywhere. The mainstream element, because I know um, the games consoles have been pushing VR and they've made some absolutely great strides. There's also a number of great strides from the PC market, but that's all within gaming and it's not mass market. You're looking at quite expensive systems that take quite a bit. You know, you've got to have space. You've got to have time. You've got to have effort to get the, get the things working. If whoever puts it mainstream first will have a massive first mover advantage. But I'm, I am curious because they've got to get it down really low at unit price 
and a hookup mm. price? Well, it's already pretty low because it's subsidized hardware. Um, the Quest at the moment is retailing for um, oh, I, I, I'd have to Google it at the moment. No, the Quest fine. retail price is, is relatively low at the moment. It's one of the cheapest ways to get a good VR experience. And to answer the question from the gallery there, has anyone done good wireless VR? The Quest is a mobile phone, basically, but optimized for VR. So it's a totally self-isolated system. No wires, works oh, wow. anywhere. Small caveat, it's got cameras on the outside to track you. It will log your room, and we know that that data is sent up to Facebook so that mm. other VR headsets can map the room. And their privacy policy doesn't say what they do with that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's problematic, and there's no GDPR data concerning biometrics and mm. um, a lot of the VR stuff. So, yeah, 400 uh, the for the quest. You can get it cheaper than that. That That's the that's the rough. Yeah. That's the very quick. I, I Googled it, and that was the first hit I got. So that's, like, the base price. Um, the VR shot up in price at the start of COVID. VR has been selling yep. like hotcake since March. Yeah. It's been out of stock everywhere. 400 quid, though, that's still... I know you can get one for like two fifty. A friend of mine bought one. I can't remember which one he bought. Mm. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Mm. VR is one of those things that is passing me by because I can't use it. Yeah, same. It doesn't work for me. I'm blind in my right eye, and mm. it goes. If I try and use it, it just does not work, and I get massive migraines. No, there's going to be a huge portion of um, accessibility issues with VR we're already facing, and there's going to be a large audience that won't be in vr for at least five years mm. um and five years you know they will eventually come in yeah i'm again again though with the even at the 250 i mean let, let's not... rephrase it the price that you pay for a new games console obviously mm-hmm. we know know the yeah. things the prices thing but the price you'd normally pay for a new games console that's basically the price that the quest is shooting at at the moment yeah I'm I'm just looking at, at the prices involved, and I'm thinking because an awful lot of um, an awful lot of the younger generation socialises in games, and they're so used to the more fluid environments for socialisation, uh, so identity fluid environments where they can just be a new person every day. I I'm not saying that the VR market isn't doing well, and I do know that the Oculus has started taking a large portion of the VR market. I'm I'm just not committed because Facebook's already got quite a bad reputation, apart from anything else. But because of it's in, it's got older, which is an instant way of stopping kids wanting to be anywhere near something, and it's got a very sticky ID for the users. I. I can see this being used by a lot of oldies. <laughs> I'm not sure how they're going to crack it into the young market because if someone comes along, yeah. It's all about the young market. The young market are the people who are most interested in VR, actually. That's, that's the why trouble, at the Facebook thing, and I'm going, I see an inherent contradiction here because of the Facebook brand and the young yeah. attitude towards the Facebook brand because they can get a console and do this stuff. Yeah. with a pr- brand they trust their data with. The the crossroads in front of Facebook um, and this crossroads they faced a while back was the Facebook brand is becoming tarnished. Do we um, try reinvent the brand and try to keep the brand up to date? And do we try to bring the brand trust value back up? Or do we 
operate micro brands? You know, do we let WhatsApp mm. be WhatsApp? Do we let mm. Instagram be Instagram and Oculus be Oculus? And um, the calculation, and I think this is mostly from Zuckerberg, because remember, he is the majority shareholder and mm. he can basically do whatever he wants um, outside of minority shareholder lawsuits. Um, <laughs> I think his thing is he doesn't want the Facebook brand to be relegated to like a Unilever status. He wants it to be a household name. Oh, it is um, a household name. It's a household name for all the wrong reasons. It's <laughs> but that's it. It's like he wants to, I think, long term recoup the the Facebook brand. I think he wants Facebook to reach the status of um, other beloved brands in sort of a decade or two. Hmm. I mean, he might be better off burning it down and sorting the earth and starting again. But you know, yeah. that's just an opinion. <laughs> I mean, hopefully within three three years, he'll be known as that bloke what got Trump elected for one term. Mm. So it, I... That's for Dania. Yeah, I, I, I mean, how much of this do you reckon is Facebook taking, you know, making a bold strike in, in ta- and conquering a large chunk of the market or them burning Oculus to the ground because everyone's going to go, no... So I think this is them actually embracing VR in many ways, but it's them mm-hmm. killing Oculus, as in like they want VR on their terms. They want VR to be ad subsidized. They want VR to be Facebook VR. Like Oculus is now actually called Facebook Reality Labs. And I mean, Mark said it when he acquired VR and many other people have said it since. Everyone disagrees about how long it'll take, but everyone agrees that Facebook, or at least all the major players agree, that um, Facebook made the right call and that VR will be the base medium for you know technology and mm. whether it's 10 years whether it's 20 years whether it's 30 years mm. you know, pick your pick your decade oh no yeah. I'm, I'm not i'm not disputing but yes yeah, so vr is coming and vr is mm. going to be big i'm I think, looking at the which brand's going to be flying the flags yeah. so that's it i think facebook fancies himself and i think particularly zuckerberg face fancies himself as being um the grandfather of VR, like the the person who births VR into the world and being the person who is responsible. But no, I mean, ego... Yeah, and no, I'm just having a horrific mental image. You know, no, I, yeah, me too. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just looking at it. I'm also thinking I appreciate that VR is not something... You know, a couple of crazy kids in a in a shed with some dreams can just knock out over the weekend. Mm. But it is as a as a market is getting easier and easier as the technology gets older and older to get involved in that. Yeah. And with the VR world being so, it's going to get huge. I mean, we were talking about three D movies and the fact that three D TV sucks because you have to keep your head clamped in a single. If anyone's ever tried it. Mm-hmm. It's basically you've got to look this way, and if you move a millimeter, it looks like a. It's like doing an autostereogram, and you've just been punched in the stomach. Uh, and, again, I don't do three D because it doesn't work. Okay, fine. I'm talking generally for people who don't, ha- you know, don't have the. I, I it's go. It, it. If someone can come up with Oculus, but not toxic. Mm. <laughs> oh. I'm just curious how much of an edge they're going to get off of that and whether he's gone and bought himself a turkey. I, I don't think he's bought himself a turkey because um, it's easy to compete. Well, not easy. It's still very difficult. But it is more reasonable to compete um, in the hardware space if you want to just make a new peripheral. Mm. Windows Mixed Reality headsets are a good example of that. Yeah. Um, 
Facebook is really trying to dominate. They have a store. They have a Steam killer, basically. They have an ecosystem, and now they want to basically build their metaverse chat app. They want to build all their different social apps. They want to have the um, Disney Plus app and all of their like content licensing deals and things like that. The thing we were talking about, how many people are watching? Well, if there's a VR, head, VR headset strapped to your face, motherfucker, it's one person. So yeah. it's like... It's it's really oh, yeah. solved. In no, I'm I'm not I'm not disputing that. I mean, you have got the question mm. of how much how much longer does Facebook have? And I'm not saying Facebook's going to fall apart mm. next week, but mm. we are getting to the point where traditionally um, the first fa- Facebook was like the the first proper mainstream giant in social media, mm. right? But we're getting to the point where the first mainstream giant normally just gets taken down by someone that bit newer, that bit more up there. So I'm the timescales you're talking about, uh, 10, 15 years, that's easily enough time for Facebook, especially with all the scandal it's having, especially with its aging population and the young hip cult things just going new. I, I'm, I'm just suggesting that it might not have enough leg to really – be the thing to do that platform because you got to remember you're talking about it building a steam killer mm. and yet steam came out of nowhere well you know, so. outside of government regulation i don't see facebook going anywhere because people always talk about myspace and they always talk about the early tech days but that really was the wild west you yes. remember most of our established platforms like facebook was 20 plus years ago Yes. Um, mm. Sorry, know, I'm just having my, myspace flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> even, even, this is what people need to remember even myspace when myspace was big myspace was not facebook big it was not no. facebook ubiquitous it was still this weird thing that was difficult to difficult to use you didn't quite understand it and the crazy kids did it who were all hip and even they didn't know quite what they were doing with it facebook was the first platform that everyone got on and everyone could use because it was simple and had instruction manuals and told you how to do things and had a nice little box that said how is your day and told you what what to write so and that's exactly what they want to deliver for vr Mm. by the way oh yeah um, i'm just suggesting that there's enough time for facebook to collapse as its dominant position as someone brings out the next big thing okay i mean chat Chat brought up a very good point about the VR technology. We're, we're comparing it to games, you know, we're saying it's sort of the price of a new games console. Yeah. But a new games console will be playable for at least three or four years and still usable for decades. Uh, we're at that point where VR hardware will be obsolete within a year and unusable within three. So if I'm if I'm going to lay down 400 quid for something, I'm going to pick a console over a VR headset, not just because I can't use the VR headset, mm. but if I, if I was a normal, healthy person... I would look and go, do I give money to this thing that will last me for God knows how long or this thing that's probably not going to be working in about a year's time? Well, on both those points, so first of all, uh, PlayStation VR came out like, what, four years ago now? PlayStation VR came out. Um, it's still It still works and it's going to be usable on um, PlayStation VR. It's, uh, PlayStation 5, it's been confirmed. Then um, the original live headset, which came out also about four or five years ago, um, is still a very good VR headset, still used by many, um, as is the original Oculus. So they do have legs, and um, 
we do expect them to last, uh, you know, at least four years, I'd say, if you're making these kind of purchases. Yeah, they might not be bleeding edge in four years, but we expect new games that are coming out four years after you've purchased the headset. It's, all, it's also worth remembering a social environment is very different to a game environment. Mm-hmm. And a social cutting edge is very different to game cutting edge. Uh, there's different expectations from people, so you don't you don't have to be photorealistic in a social environment, um, but you might have to be in a game. For no, I mean the, the other thing we know with VR is graphics don't really matter as much as people yeah. think. Like you notice them when you first put on the headset, but within a few minutes they sort of vanish away. Mm. And um, the other thing I'll just mention is you keep on mentioning that you only got a good side out of the one eye. Um, VR does kind of work for that at the moment, not as great, and it will get better. Um, but the same way your brain can perceive 3D at the moment in reality, it, it is doable in a VR headset. And the main technology. Yeah. I mean, the last time I the last time I put on a VR headset was quite a few years ago. I'll be honest. Mm. I uh, managed to vomit and then pass out <laughs> <laughs> within the space of about two minutes. <laughs> I mean, I've got a... Things have uh, improved. Yeah, I mean, I've got a blank spot there, whereabouts, which usually makes 3D pretty difficult, if not impossible for me. And there's been three films that have worked for me, and then when my partner got her Sony VR headset, that turned out to work on certain games ve- like way more better than I expected. I put it on expecting to go, yuck, and take it off again, because the friend who sold it to us, he actually has massive problems with it and can't use it up for more than an hour. And then, and then I was really surprised at how effective it was, and also how well it was uh, at working with games that weren't even designed for it. You know, giving them some serious depth and dimension. And I could, I could tell where my blind spot was, but there was enough coverage that I felt like it was. Yeah, I mean, I think the tech's getting there. It's quite. The one thing you can guarantee is that, much like with social media, much like with games, as the market matures, as people go oh, shit, there's another portion of the market I can get to give me money. Accessibility will improve because it will make them more money. Hmm. Uh, That's been proven out in games. That's been proven out in social medias. If we're talking about um, something that's being aimed at social media, then Facebook would be mental not to to improve on that and facebook might be evil they might be toxic but they're they're quite efficient at all that we do have one question from the peanut gallery is fake facebook at the point in their life where microsoft was in the mid 90s with congressional hearings no no, yes maybe differently i would say very much so i mean if you were following the senate hearings with um Mm. with with google and and with facebook and uh, the other players i mean you've got to remember that like there is a very real chance and there is an appetite for it both in europe and now growing in the us to uh, break up big tech oh yeah (laughs) excuse me one moment Excuse us, excuse us, wild cat moment. Oh, it was just a stop right in the middle. It was brilliant. I, um, no, I just, I, I, I just don't think the situation is comparable to what was happening with Microsoft in the mid, in the mid nineties. There, it's scale, yes. In actual, they're different situations. Yeah, but yeah I mean, I can't, they're, they're getting seriously looked at. 
I can't comment on an, another situation that's happening at the moment, but I'll, I'll briefly sort of point us in the direction, sort of back away. But I think we're very much at the place where we were with Microsoft because um, the other one to keep an eye on is obviously the uh, um, the Epic lawsuit. Yep, the Epic lawsuit is is pretty in, pretty intense. You've also got the TikTok lawsuit. So I, I think the I best think thing about Epic was just they're like, yeah, well, we're going to sue Apple and Google. It's like, yep, yep, yep. We're That's... epic. We're going to throw lawyers at, at Google and Apple, and Google and Apple probably just turned around and laughed. I know. I just like it's good to have yeah. a dream, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, the, the, they're all interesting because they're going to lay down some interesting precedents. And yeah, we are looking at the effects of, of you know. Various bits of the industry are going to have to change what they're doing or get severely regulated, rightly or wrongly. Um, but it's, it's definitely an interesting time. And I just, I don't know, man. I just. But if you want to talk about Facebook's competition, I think it's here and it is TikTok. Um, you know, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, there was a story about Zuckerberg going to the White House and basically planting the whole seed about TikTok as evil at, at yeah. Um, yeah. Trump. And so there, there has been covered. But if you look at the thing that exploded during lockdown, wasn't Facebook, it was TikTok. Mm-hmm. People signed up to TikTok in waves. And I mean, yeah. I've been on TikTok for like three, four years now, and I've never seen so many new users. Oh, it was t- just. TikTok are huge. It's it's sh- that that's what I mean by you know it's a sh- changing market. It's a new area, and people like TikTok. Cause TikTok's got a lot of the advantages that Facebook had when Facebook first came out, and it's making people go, "Oh right, I can understand this. I can do this thing. I can get my head around it," which is very very important. Um, it's. Yeah, I, I just have this feeling that Oculus is going to not hit the mark. It's not going to live up to its potential because it's going to get ring-fenced in Facebook's desperate attempt to conquer this last vestige that it thinks is it. Because mm. if, if TikTok decided to bring out a VR, I'm not sure how on earth they'd do it, but if TikTok was to bring out a VR offering, possibly at this point out of pure spite against Facebook. <laughs> So TikTok's parent one, one of TikTok's major invest, investors, Tencent, actually has quite a bit of VR um, stuff oh, going on, we know um, what's happen and it's quite heavily in, in the space. China VR is a totally different game to the rest of the world. China is like mm. they're iterating on VR so fast it's scary. Oh. Um, the, v, the VR stuff on drones is, that they're doing is amazing. You can lit- yeah. literally get a set of eyes in the sky. Which the, litmus, is- the litmus test for this, by the way, is going to be, is the new Oculus headset, the new Facebook headset, going to be the hot seller this Christmas, and which is bold considering there's two new consoles coming out. But mm-hmm. if they do okay in that market for Christmas, that'll be, that'll be a statement. Well, it's going to be a definite teller as well because there's not going to be as much money going around this Christmas. Yeah. Mm. So people, whoever wins is going to be absolute, is going to be the long-term hard-as-nails option because people are going to be going, right, I'm, you know, I'm not getting this because I want it first. I'm getting this because it's the thing I want. So, yeah. And yeah. might lead to people to be more conservative with their purchase. Um, yeah, 
I think I think there will be, and I th- as I said, I think they'll be thinking long term because mm-hmm. at the moment people are getting to the point where they're realizing how long term this is going to be. But it's also with Facebook. The other thing I'd say about Facebook potential is Zoom did so well, and yeah. Zooms very similar to a lot of to a lot of the stuff in Facebook, like with the the, the meetings mm-hmm. and that. It's, I mean, it's totally Zoom- different. There's a bit of disconnect. But the fact that it did so incredibly well in that time in that period is, um, yeah. Why didn't Facebook do as well? Well, I mean, I think the main reason Zoom succeeded that everyone's overlooked was UX. Zoom was the one meeting that everyone could join. You could click a web link. It was easy peasy. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it might not have been the most secure, but no, everyone no. could get into it. No, no I get problem. why I get why Zoom did so well. It's more along the lines of I'm asking why didn't why did Facebook let that happen? Well, I the thing is is that everything that makes Zoom easy to get into makes it a bad option for Facebook. Yes, yeah. because they want you to log in, they want mm. to be involved, mm. you know, they want to be in your you know space and yeah. all that jazz. So. Yeah, it's going to be. I'm definitely keeping my eyes on this because I think the VR space is going to be. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and everyone going, "Oh no, VR won't work." It's like, mm, no, it will. It will be huge. It may not be as ubiquitous as some people think. It'll take time. It'll take time. Yeah, but there are massive advantages. Plus, let's face it: ever since Johnny Mnemonic came out, everyone has wanted to sit there <laughs> with, with a set of. No, only me. No, right, no, okay. no, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, anyway, I mean, <laughs> from the gallery. From the gallery. What else have we got from the gallery? Uh, oh, God, I remember MySpace back when Netscape Navigator was a thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, and it's it's not even David versus – this is with reference to the uh, Epic and versus everyone what won't let them make all the money they want – it's not even David versus Goliath. It's Carmen Rider versus Sea King. <laughs> so, moving on from that, let's get to our final topic, which would be Lizzie. So, my topic is uh, accessibility and representation in fandom using Rita Far from Doom Patrol as a very big sort of hey look this is what yep. we want um andrew's gonna have to help me this because i've seen i've only seen clips i haven't actually watched doom patrol and he'll probably yell about it in two I'm... one now <laughs> do you want to start yelling andrew yeah you haven't seen all doom patrol uh so, doom, uh, patrol. doom patrol as a concept has always uh, its main conceit has always been presenting um, superpowers super, super as a dis- or superheroes who are functionally disabled, in that they you know they don't have the nice I'm from space I'm rich I'm a woman that can punch your face in uh, or anything like that. They're basically all the characters are disabled, and Rita Far is being uh, held up as being one of the best representations of a sufferer of chronic Ill- illness because she basically has to concentrate the whole time or she turns into a gooey pile of nothing. So um, the, the, the wonderful thing I find about Rita Vart is that 
women are the bigger I like I'm not saying men don't suffer from chronic illnesses that is not what I'm saying in any way shape or form but women are statistically more likely to suffer from a chronic illness that is usually linked to depression or anxiety which is exactly what Rita Farza linked to like if she becomes stressed and anxious she as you say she turns into a big goo monster and it's like it's like as you say other superheroes like Superman has his kryptonite thing but that's like you know that's more like an allergy than a um an actual chronic illness i'm not saying you can't have horrible di- disabating sorry i can't say words today uh, allergies because you can but superman's is very always played off more as a i don't want to say a joke but like a bit it's, it's not super deadly as until you take it more than a foot away from him yeah it's so but like for me certainly like i love don't get me wrong i love superheroes i love comics i love all that media but it's just so depressing that these people are always super like you 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 have no i realize but this is the thing like they're not showing people like they're not showing me anyone i can aspire to because i can't i mean i can barely walk down the street without being in extreme pain like oh excuse me cat but like i can't walk down the street without being in extreme pain and okay rita Fars is slightly different in that hers is like if she gets stressed or anxious she turns into a goo monster but it's the same thing she has to constantly be vigilant and worrying about yeah what's what's this situation going to do to me and for me that's great because i can finally look and go wow this is someone like me who is also doing fantastical things. It's it's representation. Yeah. I mean, you've also got the innate issue of lack of female representation in superheroics uh, or, well, generally lack of any diversity representation in superheroics. It's getting Doom better. Patrol, yeah, whereas Doom Patrol has a wide range of people and sexualities and genders and confusion. <laughs> But, I mean, the other thing that I want to use, uh, I'm going to ask Station Controller to start using uh, images in a minute. So Target, massive US retailer, are now doing adaptable Halloween costumes for kids and adults. Mm. Station Controller, thank you. Like, you know, like the onesie has a pouch on the front for, say, if you've got a kid with a colostomy bag and you need to check it without taking them out of the whole costume. Yeah, but it, they're like they're seeing that there is a market. Okay, yeah, they're going to make money out of it. But I mean, look at those prices—like twenty, thirty dollars for a kid's mm. Halloween costume for a kid in a wheelchair. Like mm. that's that's huge. And this is Target. This isn't like some small independent indie company going. Yeah, we're going to make this kid an awesome costume, and it's going to cost thousands of dollars. This is no. Hang out here. Have something that you would spend on your kid's Halloween costume anyway. And it's you know. It's there. And they've also got one for adults as well. And they've got like different sort of people. There's a kid with a walker on there and things like that. And it's like disabled people are starting to be heard as a market. Mm. I mean, there's a um, there's a miniature company. I can't I'm I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong. Strata Miniatures, who've done Dungeons and Diversity. (laughs) You can have a mini. 
I, I, mm. I love it. You can have a mini. They've only got four at the moment, but that you can have a mini in your, of you in your D&D campaign in a wheelchair. They've got mm. like a an elf rogue, a human druid, a tiefling cleric, and a, I think it's a dwarf barbarian. But they're in wheelchairs for D&D. So cool. Like, it, it just blew my tiny mind when I saw this. I was just like, because <gasps> I, I mean, I use a wheelchair. I have used wheelchairs and mobility scooters when my pain is really bad. And now it's like, it's not seeing it just as a disability. It's like, yeah, you can still go on kick-ass adventures in Dungeons and Dragons if you're in a wheelchair. You just get spikes on it and, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's awesome. One thing I would say is it's really nice to see companies making making money off people with disability because that really not no that really normalizes disability i think the the, the thing the thing with this is somewhat of a success story of micro companies um because mm. i noticed the costumes you put up all by hide and eat boutique which is going to be a small company that is doing a resell through target um and also the miniatures themselves you know again a small company you know it, it is one of those ways that smaller companies can different differentiate they can go we want to serve this niche and if the niche is someone with a um, disability or some particular section of the market i think that's one of the best ways to get accessibility in um, because it's really awkward when a company tries to do it without the knowledge of the subject yeah i mean speaking as some i'm not again speaking for every disabled person you know everyone's mileage is different but I want it to be normal to see people in wheelchairs, whether it's in movies, on TV, you know, at a convention, and not feel like a freak when I'm at a convention and I'm having to use a mobility scooter um, because people are staring at you because it's like, well, wait, why are you here? Like, I've actually been asked that at, at events of when I'm in a wheelchair, why are you here? <laughs> And I'm and I was just like like my like I, I I don't even remember what my answer was because I was just so shocked at that question. It's like why I, I just wanted to be like, why can't I be here? Yeah. Uh, mm. wow. Quick point, Hydenique is the target brand for Halloween stuff. Oh okay. Not, not Hydenique boutique. Is their stuff for is is basically their line for kids Halloween? Okay, because I, I do know that's becoming more popular with a lot of UK retailers where they open up space mm. on their floor space for small companies to push uh, inventory. So, so there's some there's some interesting sort of precedence to all of this. It's just I just find it interesting that they're sort of uh, some of them have been retconned out of their own continuities. Others have just disappeared as other things become more successful. But as a kid, my sort of primary memory of uh disability is the so the junior school i went to in surrey had a football field that was shared with the school opposite which was at the as this is the 70s it was literally called a spastic school that was the really? clinical term at the time yeah, that was the yeah. clinical term at the time and it so turn into, a, into a term of abuse exactly and so um we had to share the field with them which was great and i had friends in there 
um, and they had a massive fence, whereas we had no fence around our football field, but then they were allowed out. And obviously you get to interact with them. So that for me, I was very fortunate to have some normalization of um, mm. special illnesses, special abilities and so forth very early on, um, which was very interesting in and of itself. But then you take you on television at the time, we still had, uh, we had so much, so many reruns of American TV that you had things like, um, is it Cannon who was in the wheelchair? One of the American, one of the, I, I'm trying to remember that. One of the American, sorry, Ironside, that was it. So you got Ironside is in the wheelchair and, and he's, you know, Mr. Crime Solver. Um, and then as we kind of moved through the 80s and 90s, uh, it's really odd how American, like the crime genre had room for people in wheelchairs. Like, I'm not quite sure whether that's because of how they got into the wheelchair in the first place with crime stories or what. But like Wise Guy, which was a groundbreaking drama in many ways, um, the main comms controller for the undercover agents who work for the FBI in that show, he's an, a veteran who's ended up in a wheelchair, but he is widely seen as like the father quite, figure character. Quite possibly because uh, that's a heroic disability. Right, that's what I'm getting you, at. You've, sus- you've sustained it in a heroic act rather than you just had the misfortune of, of, of birth. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, as you say, like the, growing up for me, the only real representations I remember of people in wheelchairs was Professor Xavier. And yeah, again, he, was he, was not, yeah, he wasn't born in a wheelchair. He was put there by an accident. And um, the character of Eyes Only from Dark Angel, but again, mm-hmm. he ended up in a wheelchair through vigilantism, yeah. sort of. I was going to make uh, Barbara Gordon. Yes, Barbara yeah. Gordon. I know that, and I think that's the that's the point I was going to make. Is that ultimately we're talking about things that are in the crime genre, even as they move into the superhero genre, and therefore, as you say, Andrew, there's a heroic element there. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting that that is enough for us to go. Okay, that's fine, but put to one side. Not me. Yeah, I find that interesting. Um, I'm I'm not as familiar with Doom Patrol, but one of my favorite parts of the X Men universe was the Murlocs and X Factor, and just like oh, you've got all these wonderful privileged mutants who are living in this mansion and being the the superstars, but they do actually got the shit mutant powers, and I always found that the most interesting sort of story. That that was that was a yeah, it was literally you know. You've got a you in, in the X Men. You've got a superhero who you've got Angel, whose main pa- main problem is being too damn pretty to walk down the street without everyone stopping and going wow. And then you've got people in the Murlocs, whose main mutant power is anything they touch turns to nothing. As- acid. Yeah, they got acid coming out of them the whole time, so they're naked and slowly falling into the Earth's crust. Oh, boo-hoo, Angel. How's your terrible day been? But then you also have some of the toxic storylines or semi-toxic storylines, depending on how you want to interpret it, like in the Ultimate X-Men when um, you had the uh, story with Wolverine. I forget the character's name. um, But Wolverine basically finds the mutant kid who wakes up with the power that atomizes biological matter nearby. And he goes into, finds the kid and basically kills the kid after getting the idea. And it's like... You survive, and it's that like was mostly to show that Wolverine would make the hard decisions that That's no one awesome. else could, or you know, use on that like, because no one can be bothered to help solve. Uh, Whichever way you want to look at it, but to flip that around, 
Yeah, to flip that around, if it was um, if it was Xavier's son, they would find a special facility for him and work really hard to keep him alive. What you mean, <laughs> the kid that's essentially a nuclear god? Oh uh, yeah, but in <laughs> Ultimate X Men, they they squished David Xavier with a car because he was too powerful. <laughs> like that was the, the, this. The, see, don't get me wrong. I love the X Men. I've always loved the X Men. The X Men has problems. And the X-Men is not a good bar for disabilities in the real world. I'm sorry, when, you're when your only disability is you shoot lasers from your eyes and you're surrounded by hot women all the time. Oh, cry me a river. I think it's worth pointing out, though, that I think this is part of the problem with have, expecting anything like representation of certain things in the superhero genre mm. and in and of itself. Yeah. Superhero genre requires you to be able to do things that are extraordinary, and that's and therefore you have to say to yourself, okay, if we're going to, as you said, as you yourself said, Lizzie, you know, the representation of people who are suffering constantly and having are extraordinary simply in terms of their ability to cope with life. That is the extraordinary power that people with chronic illness definitely have, you know. Um, um that's what Doom Patrol does, just to ring the bell once more. Well, I, you know, I'm a, I, I, you know, I still haven't watched it, but I know the comics, you know, Vertigo was always my jam, and it's like, um, I get what you're saying. I think it's interesting, though. I, I think there is a point at which you have to kind of say, well, you ha you need a really skillful writer to, un to find that balancing act between mm. this is a representation, a, fant a fantastical, metaphorical out version of a real-life suffering that doesn't demean it, doesn't uh, depoliticize it, doesn't, you know, exploit it, but then also say, and at the same time, here is the superpowered ability to do, yeah. save, you know, save people and do crime. It's like, it's all crime. Al also, we can, uh, you know, we can take the piss out of the X-Men for its failings as much as we want, tr trust me. And we will. I've done that repeatedly. But a lot of it is from the past, mm. but at the time it was still quite, powerful and still quite innovative and I can, yeah, there's, I can there's a lot of context groundbreaking in the 80s some of yeah. it was really groundbreaking oh, in the cool. 70s even in, even in the 60s but one but one fact i have dug up uh which is really good fun uh what percentage of regular of regular primetime characters in the 2018 to 2019 season do you reckon had disabilities Recognizable dis disabilities. Less than one percent. That sounds about right. Any other guesses? Anyone got higher than one percent? Where are you going? I'd probably go between the one and five mark. Okay, between one and five. Is you going higher or lower? No, 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 I'm 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 staying in the low range because it, it lately it's not been a thing. Doom Patrol probably. Doom Patrol and maybe a couple of Netflix shows and one CW show will probably constitute most of it. If we're looking at American shows. The thing you've got to remember, there's a lot of characters out there that have a disability which the writers choose to ignore most of the time they're writing. Oh no, this is this is this is in, this is visible disabilities. A visible di oh it's no, no 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 no. This is vis visible disabilities like okay. are you missing an arm? And invisible disabilities like does you have a chronic condition? I go down to like one or two percent then. Okay. Two point one percent. Now, here's the real fun one. Oh no! What do you think that is in the general populace? And I'm willing to accept people of working age. 
the percentage of the people of working age who have either who is believed, and this is an estimate because obviously not everything gets diagnosed, et cetera, et cetera, would either have a visible or an invisible disability. Uh, Temporary or permanent? Uh, The stats I got, basically, this is how many people should be registered as having a disability for on the ground, on on the scope of it's a long-term inhibitor on their ability to just get on and do stuff. It's something like the some. I think I can't remember. If it's thirty-two or forty-two percent, but it's quite a high. And it's quite high because what is classed as a disability is quite mm, a broad yeah. thing. So I think I'd it's something like forty-two percent. I'd go with thirty-ish. This is for the people. If you take, if you just look at it for people of working age, it's about twenty percent. Mm. Hmm. So. It's literally, and you're people are working age. The people who have all the money, therefore, they're the people that you should be advertising to. Yeah, twenty <laughs> percent of twenty percent of them. Just that, that you're underrepresenting your bloody market by a ten ten times. It's like two point one percent versus people I... with disabilities versus twenty percent. It's ridiculous, and this is. This is prime time characters because when you then start looking at one off characters, little magic mm. sympathy disabled people that turn up to be like mm. either the villain if they have an ugly disability or the wonderful hero if they don't, it, it goes up. But yeah. The other thing I mean, you have to also take into account, Andrew, is how many of them are actually played by actors or actresses with a disability. Oh, Regards, uh, regards to the question, are we talking about UK or in the world? That is based on the American output and the American stats. I have not been able to get global stats, um, but the America is where we get the bulk of our media from and where we get the bulk of our media trends. The England is slightly better, mm-hmm. but not massively. I mean, the thing I'd say in regards to this is it's driven by numbers, right? And there was a there, was a conversation, um, you know, in the 90s about this in the um, black community of like, if you want to see more good black media, stop paying for the other stuff and start paying mm. for that. And so the question is for people with disabilities, are you, is that affecting your media choices? Because if it's not affecting your media choices, then it's not going to affect what gets made. Oh, I mean, absolutely! I'm, I'm, I'm pointing the finger at everyone here. I'm not just pointing at the people producing it. Cause someone's got to be buying it. I mean, famously, you know, when 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 British women got the or the initial wave of British women getting the vote in 1918, you know, the first, they didn't vote a woman in <laughs> women in, in Parliament. You know, that that's just how it went. You know, um, I think, I think when you say numbers like you know three percent versus twenty percent, I just feel like. You know, oh God! So this is like being issues of color in the seventies and TV. Yeah. You know, we're at the same level, you yeah. know, th- th- you know, compared to them. So it took us thirty years, twenty years to get to better representation in that front. So hey, Lizzie, <laughs> <laughs> but there was also there was a and you're ready to retire to seek out um, non-white media as well. Like yeah. that, there was a there was a concerted effort to say yeah. I am giving my money to yeah. this, and to my knowledge. Having like, because we do quite a big, big accessibility push within Sony and stuff, and we do know, like, for instance, accessibility settings make a big difference to the sales of games and such. Um, I have seen numbers for movies, 
And for media, for passively consumed media, there's not as much of a difference. For games, there's a huge difference. People will not buy games if it doesn't have the accessibility options they need. So for games, we put the options in, no questions asked, because it's going to make a bottom line difference. But for passive wow. media, um, there was not a big difference. There's, there's, wow. there's not a big difference in need of accessibility. But yeah, but the representation side of it. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like, obviously, when you buy the new Spider-Man game, there's no one in a wheelchair there, or at least I don't think there is. But um, the settings you need to play because no, of your yeah, particular yeah. thing are there because we know that affects your purchase decision. Yeah, but, yeah like uh, for me, for video games, I will not buy a game if I cannot switch from first person to third person because mm. i cannot play a first person game i get mm. vertigo i it's it's all tied into my condition and there's a lot of people who are the same and if it doesn't have subtitles i also won't buy the game because i can't hear very well mm. like i have know. good news for you on that front <gasps> yeah i, I well, mean most games regulation yeah, most games these days come with subtitles. Sometimes it's awkward to find the subtitle setting, but it is there. But, I mean, I am on a lot of forums for people with invisible illnesses, chronic illness, disabilities, and I post, because I knew I was going to want to do this as my mm. story, so I posted on the forums and said, who here has seen Doom Patrol? Masses of people had seen Doom Patrol. I was like, yeah. great, you can help me. What do you think of Rita Farr? The only complaint anyone had about her was, if she's so, if she's got such a chronic illness, I don't believe she can do her makeup like that every day because <laughs> I, it's too, it's too tiring to do that. That was the only complaint they had of her as a like some people personality wise, she's very whiny, but they they liked her because mm. she was believable. Mm. For all she turns into a blood monster, but as a person with a chronic illness, invisible illness, you know. They, the only complaint was that she was too made up too often because when you're feeling like crap, you don't want to put on lipstick. That was the what, only complaint anyone had. One of one of the big plots for season one was just her not wanting to go anywhere because she essentially didn't want to have a relapse whilst not at home because of the embarrassment and because of just the trauma being outside of the house and having a full-blown relapse would cause her. And I know from my own wife has something with a not you know she doesn't turn into a blob unfortunately <laughs> but she has a thing where she has you know when she's been having really bad period of illness she hasn't wanted to leave the house because she doesn't have confidence that she can without you know getting halfway into town and suddenly falling over yeah i mean i i'm so, just, a lot of it's that's the same for a lot of people it's like yeah. it's the spoon theory or the spell slots theory whatever theory you prefer i prefer the spell slot than spoons because the spoons is not yeah. quite great for me but it's like i have to i have to weigh what i can do in a day it's like hmm. okay i have to get up can i have a shower and get dressed those are two. Those are my options in the morning, and usually the option is I can have a shower and then put my pajamas back on, or I can get dressed and maybe do something else. Mm. So for a lot of people, it is that option. It's you know. So Rita Farr really resonated with a lot of people because it's like, yeah, when I'm having a low energy day or a no spoons day or a no spell slots left day, she. That's how I feel. I don't want to leave the house because. You know, again, we don't turn into goo monsters if we do when we leave the house, but it's Feels still like embarrassing person. to like I have been gone out 
on occasion by myself and I've just had to sit down on the middle of the floor in the middle of the street because I literally cannot take another step. And that's mm-hmm. embarrassing. People have accused me of being drunk, high, you know, it, it's horrible. It like, it is the worst feeling I can possibly ex- describe to anyone of how dehumanizing having a disability is treated by the general public. So my, my question to you is, I mean, how do you feel about having this, about seeing that representation? I, yes, I will. Like, I, what, as soon as I work out how to stream Doom Patrol, I'm going to find that service and do it. So I'm still confused as to which service I stream I'll send it you on. the instructions. Thank you. Don't worry, I have it <laughs> on quick. Yeah, Doom Patrol just always have the access there. But it, it's yeah. something that has helped with the series is that it's had so much representation in it it's got uh gay characters it's got characters of color it's got characters with physical disabilities it's got characters with psychological disabilities you know it, it's i mean it's got it's got a huge following amongst the gay community you know the, the the lgbtq plus community because it has a character who is a you know gender queer and it's presented environments that are just totally welcoming to all and people are you know people who i would never in my life think would watch a superhero series have turned around to me you know without me just constantly yelling at them about how great doom patrol is and they're gone yeah i went and watched doom patrol it was great and i swear they either told me outright or i got the absolute sense from them that they were doing that because it had so much representation in it and they were like i'm finally on the screen punching a bad guy in the face that was great there's yeah, money out there for what's it matters, right if you put the dollars behind it because i know i will actively watch a movie if there are um gay people who get to live happy ever after because mm-hmm. god forbid you have to watch another gay tragedy <laughs> or, or the sexless gay or the sexless gay friend that's always that's always a great trope it's like yes i have a gay friend but they never ever have sex it's like or as as an anime fan the gay villain oh god mm, queer i mean villain. yeah i mean this, you, you know you're saying earlier claire like put your money behind it mm. the problem with being in the disabled community is there's been nothing to put our money behind as, as you say, the, most of the disabled characters on TV, media, they're the ones that are there through a heroic reason or an accident. It's not. And everyone's like, oh, well, then there should be more disabled creators. Well, as I said, if your choices are, you know, getting up and showering and putting on, or putting on clothes, how the hell are you going to make your way in media? Because it's not a it's not a, like a nine to five yeah, no, job. I mean- the so, thing is, obviously, you can't use the – you can't – I always get upset with people who say, well, go make your own game or go make your own tentpole. It's not that easy. It's, it's not practical. However, there is a lot of forms of media, um, I'd say comics, um, books. Uh, there's a lot of, like, small art and stuff where, you know, artists and authors can contribute to whatever mm. particular niche they want to serve. And if that particular niche is getting served, and I would say to pick a non, um, a non like accessibility or a non like sort of yeah. um, thing, lit RPG, you know, like the very specific niche of nerds who want to read about people in a fantasy world, reborn, whatever, right? That's a niche. That's a hard niche, but people throw their money at it and that niche has exploded. Mm. And um, so 
while it may be hard to find people who are making AAA movies or AAA video games or Hollywood budget movies who have representation, if you can find smaller creators who have representation that you can throw money at, that's where you, you go. You know, that's, but, but, that's there's, the also, there's also, if there's a movie that you're umming and ahhing about that has the kind of representation and you want to see, go watch it. Yeah. If it's a 50-50 movie and you're not quite sure, but you really like the idea, it's got whatever representation you want to see in it being done well, or even if you're worried it'll be a bit shit, go put your money out. Just go mm. and spend that cash. Mm. The people making all this content want to make money, and the this was what I was saying earlier with the um, with the catalogue. It's the normalisation of it. It's this idea of it just being another market sector it gets it out there that these are just normal people because they are, they just have disabilities. Okay. Yeah. But okay. If you, if you don't mind me drawing the issue of color, because diabetes is, is I don't, I don't need to explain to anyone just how crappily used it is in fiction. It's as much a crutch as, you know, it's, it's always look they're in the hostage situation, little kid or little, poor person hasn't got their insulin. Um, With the fancy oh, watch. Yes, your yeah. plot device, yay! Little Jim is in a coma. Yeah, Feed him a Snickers. After I had you learned how to use a, uh, an EpiPen and had to use one several times, and now I cannot take any EpiPen usage in drama seriously because <laughs> none of them either know how to do it properly or know how to act the way it feels after you've had it. Um, but but leaving that aside, I think what I find interesting is we've reached, at least with color, we've reached, and, 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 and the representation of ethnicity, we've reached a point where I don't want to put my money behind a whole bunch of things because I don't like them. They're doing things about people I don't like, people I don't find interesting. And I don't just mean anti-heroes. I mean mm. that, that strain of literature that thinks that being an absolute scumbag is a, is a positive, you know, uh, one creator once called... Um, uh, magnificent. What does he call it? Not anthropomorphism. Anthra. I can't even remember the word. But this no, whole I... idea. Yeah, the, yeah, the whole idea of the the person who's so mis. No, that's it. Misanthropic. Yeah, this idea that misanthro- misanthropic a misanthropic character can be magnificent in his misanthropy. And I and, and I've reached that point in my life where I'm like, really? So yeah, look, Indian guy in America being a complete. Yeah, to everybody, particularly women, and I'm supposed to watch that because why? No, this was what I'm saying. If you're mm, about it, not no, if you no. think it looks shit. If you think no, it looks I, abhorrent, I tried it. I gave it two yeah. episodes, three episodes, and then oh, everybody no, it, I know it's a great series. I should have watched all two years. It won an award, you know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much if I if these days if I'm watching a police procedural or whatever. And the bad guy's gay coded. I'm just like, nope, sorry, bang, done. Yep. Being yep. being gay does not make you a serial killer, yep. you know. Or trans coding. I'm just like, nope, bump, fuck yep. off. But if you're like, you're not gonna, you know, if, if there's a, a a character that is not perfectly represented, but you kind of get what they're trying to, then yeah, carry on. I'm not saying you know just throw money at whatever i'm saying if you're not if you're on the fence so you're not 100 percent sure no i get what you're saying i just yeah. think this is the with using the marketplace as an arbiter so like one, but it's uh, gonna uh, be for content so talking about characters that you hate because they are apparently what people see you as i'm going to use the character of house <laughs> house oh God. 
<laughs> so don't get me wrong. I actually like the series of House. Like it's you know it's fun to watch. I you know but for me everyone's like oh so it's like House and I'm like no no I no that's not what like for one the House is there because of an infection. It's not. You know, technically, he, they're like, oh, you use a cane like house. It's like, no, it's an entirely different thing. But they're like, oh, so if I have a bad day or I'm grumpy, people used to say, oh, watch out, you're turning into house. And I'm like, word I'm not going to say because station rule controller will yell at me. I'm in <laughs> pain. I'm in. Mo- I'm on so many medications right now that I could like literally tranquilize an elephant and you're telling me that because I'm slightly snippy because you're being an idiot, I'm being like house? Or like if someone saw me taking my painkillers, I'm on some pretty hard painkillers. Let's be unlike, they're like, oh, careful, you don't want to turn, end up like house with his Vicodin. And I'm like, words that just are, un- <laughs> no, are we, unrepeatable. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'm, this is the thing, I am not, I'm not a plot device. I am not mm. something to for people to make people feel better. I am not something for, to be a cause for you. I am a person. I have emotions and I have feelings and I'm going to be noisy about it. I mean, have, like, people know me. I'm loud and obnoxious. That's my thing. Because I am not going to lie down and be some poor, helpless heroine for you to come and save. Like, I have had actual people in the street when I'm in my wheelchair on my own try and push me. Like, because apparently I, they, and they don't even ask. They've just grabbed the back of my wheelchair and started pushing me along. <laughs> like, there is actually, there's actually someone on um, the internet who does modifications for people's wheelchairs to stop the helpful stranger. And basically, <laughs> they, basically they make like, ha- like candle covers for the backs of wheelchairs covered in spikes. Yes, about time. But like, this is the thing. I am seen as my disability. Hmm. I'm not my disability. It is a part of who I am, and it's a part of who everyone with a disability is. Like, nobody can say, oh, I'm not my disability. And of course, you're not your disability. It makes up a part of you. But, like, if Mark and I go out and I'm in my wheelchair and I ask a question, they answer Mark. It's like, hello, excuse me, I'm the person that's speaking to you. So... Hmm. This is the thing that gets me with representation of disabilities in media is that we're seen as a, we're not seen as people mm. in a wheelchair. We're seen as a wheelchair which happens to have a person in it. Well, that, that, or that's... a pair of crutches or, you know, as you say with the diabetes, oh no, they haven't got their insulin. It's a plot device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was what it's I was like... saying about the numbers about characters, about reg- regular characters. You, By simple definition and just by pure fact, if you've got a character that turns up for one episode and then bogs off, that's not a character. That's a plot point. Mm. And that, and that, that's why having something like Doom Patrol, which is about the characters, which is, you know, they're all disabled, but it's not just about their disability. It's the rollingness. It's them as people rather than as, as, as solved in 30 minute plot hits for the, 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 bald-chested, blonde-eyed, blue-haired um, doctor to, to stand fixed. there and go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not something to be fixed. You can't just so, say, here, have this, it'll fix you. It's like, that's not how this works. Yeah. Speaking on the behalf of those who have been in the writer room and have been in a pre-produc- pre-production process, um, 
unless you are lucky enough to have someone in the room who is representing that particular thing, which is very rare and it's going to be rare for a very long time. You know, you can't expect that to be the situation, you know, because you have like four people in the room. They're not going to represent the entire world. Um, with With that exception, you need either previous examples in media that you're familiar with, whatever your media is, or you need easy, digestible ways to put these topics into your whatever you're, you're doing, right? And so the one-shot big character comes there. And one of the things that good advocacy groups, because obviously there's a range of advocacy groups, one of the things that good advocacy groups do is they don't try make the writers go with that whole, here is the 100-page thesis about the thing. They're like, here's two or three talking points. Here's... Mm simple things for you to introduce a guest character. Yes, it may not be as great as a main character, but if you see a guest character in one of a particular season or whatever particular show you've seen, and it's a bit of representation. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's a step and it's a stage. And it's all about building that vocab and working through advocacy groups who can give those bite-sized summaries because it's not like anyone in a writer's room is malicious. Like, we all want to portray the various things. In fact, one of the reasons you don't see as much representation as you probably like is whenever there is a, a question of representation rather than, oh, we're writing Billy Bob, he's the stupid whatever character. Um, writers want to treat it with respect and it's often the respect and dignity that makes them back away from the issue. So it's useful to just have cliff notes of going, here's the three things we have to throw in. It's also worth noting, just like with um, female representation, just like with gay representation, just like with people of color representation, as you're saying, the writing room is like, what, four or so people. Let's say it's, it's, it's four people in a room trying to c- come up with the best story they can. Each of them is individually going to be mostly basing it off their life experience, either through what they've read or through what they've gone through. Until we started getting more women in writing rooms, you didn't have decent female representation. Until you started getting more people of color into writing rooms, you didn't have you know, good representation. Or gay people, you didn't have as good a representation. So if you want to get, as, as a whole, if we want to get more representation of people with these chronic conditions, getting them in a writing room is actually really quite a big deal. And but obviously, that's going to be quite hard. Yeah. It's impractical to get a cross-section, but... I think having some and having more of whatever it is, those people just getting, not necessarily getting across the medical accuracy, but like, like with the house, like with the house situation that, that Claire was going through, they learned something from house. It wasn't necessarily great, but they learned something from the house and they started applying, applying it. Um, the Rita Farr situation, when you've got the chronic illness, the way you can collapse at any time, that, that applies to a whole bunch of ailments. That applies to a whole bunch of situations. Now people have got that bit more understanding because they had their representation. You know, I mean, it's gen- you know, you know it, people suffering from generica sclerosis, as it were. I mean, this is the thing, right? So, so in the 90s, I was teaching when I first started professionally teaching i was in a school in surrey in uh, near gatwick and there was one kid who was asian out of the entire population of the school and i was the only uh asian no i was the only male of color in the entire staff thinking about it um and so the majority and and, and you know a lot of people in the town because i lived in the catchment area had never seen anybody of color much 
just it just wasn't physically the place. So when Lenny Henry started doing that TV series, I can't remember the life of me what it was called, where he was a headmaster. Everyone just was like, "Oh, it's you." And I'm like, okay, we're completely different continents and races, right? Not even gonna, but uh, I'm like, glory. that's it, right? And I was just like, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm just gonna say, yeah, thank you, I appreciate it because he's a favorite comedian of mine. Just so you know, we're kind of a little bit different, but it's a starting point. It's like you've got to start somewhere. And a lot of the kids I taught back then, who are now hitting thirty. Um, the ones who are in my form, several of them have come back and, and friended me in adult life. And it's been really interesting seeing them on Facebook for the last X number of years, because you see how many of them came from this incredibly monocultural background as kids. And now they're in jobs that take them over the world and they have partners of color and, or they, or they are uh, one, one student in particular finally came out as gay and it was like, you know, and 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 is now married and has a kid and all the rest of it. And you're just like, you know what, guys? That's the world we were hoping for you. But we had to open the door slowly, mm. piece by piece. And, you know, I don't think there was a single teacher at the school who was openly gay. But that didn't stop the children themselves figuring it out, figuring out their lives, moving onwards. You know, Rygate College, when they all went to college, they all came back and said, oh, you wouldn't believe what it's like there. And I was like, well, good for you. That's the way forward. Figure it out. You know, make your mistakes while you're young and figure it out. Have fun. Don't whatever you do, don't go in there carrying the ideas that you were raised mm. with and your parents with. Be find who you are. And I think that's really, really important. I think actually this is whether we like it or not, the experience I've had over the years is seeing that each little bit of representation, faux representation though it may be, is a moment to build on to the future because it's not going to be us who get the benefit sadly sorry lizzie it no. will be you know the next gen yeah, or generation I, no, I, to come. as you say i realize this is not some uh, this is not a fix overnight or even in maybe the no. next decade but mm. rita people like rita far or targets costuming or those miniatures mm -hmm. is a step mm. it oh, may be massive. a small step but I'll take it because yes. if I have one more person turn to me at a convention and go, are you a cripple? I am not going to be responsible for my actions. <laughs> I mean, if I can give you a bit of good news, like I would love uh, some. One yes, of the please. things that's happened through lockdown with TikTok is lesbian TikTok has exploded and um, <laughs> baby gays are there. And oh, one of the things that I just realized for the first time in my life is you talk to these 20 something year old gays you talk to even worse you talk to like the 18 something year old gays and um you realize they don't have the same stories we do they don't have the same stories of discrimination high school was a blast for them um they were like prom king or queen they had a wonderful time like the the stories are mostly positive and yes there's a few people who still have bad stories but they're the exception not the rule and when you talk to them about some of the stories you have they're like what really uh, uh. Mm -hmm. and they're kind of shocked at that point of mm. comparison so um the baby gays are doing all right and i'm sure that <laughs> in like 20 30 years you'll probably hear similar stories hopefully yeah uh, i did 
the other big thing to remember is with stuff like Rate of Fire and Doom Patrol, if it, if it does continue to get big and it does have a cultural impact, there will be an awful lot of incredibly bad rip-offs. And I guarantee <laughs> we will end up seeing uh, some dodgy knockoff about the legion of, of broken people uh, charging into battle on their wheelchairs. It will just be crass as all hell. Um, and, yeah, I'll probably end up watching it. I'm sorry, but the, ex- the expression... No, you- lesbian tiktok exploded just got me an absolute hysteric. so i was just literally just like what how did all their phone blow up what do you mean the pain that was why i was chuckling my head up it was just like limbs everywhere in my very stupid head but uh, I, I think, as Claire was saying, like we need to get more diversity in the writers' room. And you know, if someone tells me how to get in a writers' room, I'll bring me there, and I'll be like, "Hey, you know, come on, let's let's I'm, do this." Just off the top of my head, rather than aiming for the writers' room, the way to start is to hook up with advocacy groups and to basically make yourself accessible. And make yourself someone who's really easy to talk to. You know, don't make yourself a hard pill to swallow. Make yourself that you can go into a room with four straight white guys who've never considered anything outside of their realm of experience and you can give them the cliff notes on how to put a um, character with a disability into their thing. And if you can have that conversation and they can be feel good about walking away from that conversation and, you know, I know it sounds shitty. You've got to basically, you know, cater to the four white dudes with no external experience. And I'm just using that as the generic default. But if you can, if you can walk into the room and you can give them a good experience and you can give them cliff notes and you can walk out, that's how you start to build bridges. And honestly, that's one of the best bits of career advice, I would say, in regards to advocacy and, and pushing agendas in um, media and creative media. Because you can't make them feel bad about themselves. You can't make them feel guilty. You can't. I don't know that's shitty to say, but you want them to invite you back no. for the next commercial project. You, you've got to go. But what, you ba- what, what she's basically saying is you have to go in and sell your disability. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's and crass, but that is the, that yeah. is the way. You know, yeah, I mean, I mean man, I've worked in retail since I was 16. I'm, I'm used to shoveling the uh, doo-doo. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, having worked with various disability um, um, and accessibility people who come to game studios, you know, yes, they're lovely people, and yes, the community, like, we're much more positive now, but they're, you can tell they've done this, and you can tell they are, you know, they're having a fab time because they're visiting the game studio, and they're talking about games, and they're talking about they're passionate about, but you can tell they have a, they have a patter that they have got down, and they have a, a thing that they've got down that makes it. Um, yeah. Easy for the people <laughs> to interact with. The elevator. Um, Mark has just posted that if I go into a room with four straight white guys and they're not polite, then the result will be something station controller would have to censor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. He does live with me. Uh... It would be. It would be funny. Oh come on! We, let's be honest. That it would be against Twitch TOS, but the views would go through the roof on YouTube. Uh, yeah it's i mean it's a shitty thing to say it's just one of those things of um you You know conversation forward yeah you you, got to sell i mean even though i keep on dumping on the uh you know the disabled person of the week thing 
Mm. Even that is still a positive step forward. I mean, the biggest problem I've got with it is how much encoding there is in it and how much blame throwing there is in it. Um, but the actual concept of the, the disabled person of the week or the disability of the week, yeah, um, yeah it, it helps. It makes it more of a concept. And it also means there's someone out there going, oh, wow, you saw that thing on that show. Why don't we do that? Or maybe give that to one of our main characters and just throwing a spin out on there. Yeah, it's, yeah it, it would just be nice to not, to get away from the tropes of it and into yeah. the more realistic like, no but tropes sell yeah that's it's, it. it's using it's using yeah. the tropes They're, this is something that drove me mental about tv tropes is number one this idea that everyone wants to over categorize everything possible into tropes mm. it's almost as bad as like with the, you know it, it's why i have a massive list of uh cyberpunk subgenres that are just people desperately trying to feel special about something and throwing a random word at the front of the word punk but with the tropes there's nothing wrong inherently wrong about having or using tropes they are recognizable units it, it's basically putting an idea in a package that lets someone understand it that bit better it, it's they're not bad things it's how you use them that is good or bad. And I mean, the thing is, is if you have that guest character who is there just for one episode, but the IMDb rating for that particular episode or the, the viewing numbers for that particular episode were higher, people will look at it and go, why was that episode particularly mm. higher? And they'll be like, oh, it was this thing. And it kind of follows. And, you know, you, you start mapping the constellation and you, you yeah. start driving that conversation forward because one thing i will say and everyone is guilty of this i don't care if you're a writer i don't care if you're in film or tv or video games everyone obsesses over their own genre too much and so once you start to get stuff into that genre mm. I, the, the other thing is the, norm, the normal reason they got really good ratings is good writing mm. that's what it comes down to every time um Disabilities aren't interesting. The people behind the disabilities are. Yeah, I mean, to to use a very personal example, I've been doing um, skate video edits for ages, and for August, I've been doing like a skate video every day kind of thing. And one of the things I noticed was I was like, oh, some of my videos are getting more viewership, and I was like, why? And then I realized because I skate in Battersea Park sometimes, and we do this thing where we uh, push wheelchair users around. Um, on our roller skates and we've got some specialty wheelchairs so they can go around at our speed and stuff. It's called wheel and wheelchairs. And um, I noticed what basically what was happening was wheelchair communities were sharing around these videos and they were getting more views. And so that's obviously a very small micro case signal, but that's a signal to say, oh, right. So if I make more footage and good footage of the wheels and wheelchair stuff, there's more people who want to watch that. Yeah. Cool. And on that positive note, uh, <laughs> that was the big stomp for August uh, here on Bunk in the Bunkerzilla Bunker. Uh, so, did you forget where you were for a minute, Andrew? <laughs> regularly, regularly. <laughs> I, my, I'd like to say my mind is traveling through dimensions that mere mortals can't understand. But you all know that would be bullshit. <laughs> quite quite yeah, spicy much. bullshit that you'd actually partly believe as well. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so let's get through. So 
big thanks to Hugh. Hugh, what are you up to at the moment? Chill so, away, my friend. We have uh, binges and box sets with Anna Hussey is go, uh, going out on Bunker, um, usually Monday uh, of each week, where we review uh, TV shows. We're about halfway through the season. We've just done an episode on Good Omens with the guest host uh, from um, my guest host from uh, Real History, Jenna Payman. Uh, Real History is on hiatus at the moment, uh, but we will be back hopefully round about late September. Uh, where if Wonder Woman, if Warner does put one. Wonder Woman in theatres. We've got a run of Wonder Woman-related episodes. Uh, and finally, uh, Hustlers of Culture, we have just reached the end of the season with our episode of uh, on Michael Mann's Black Hat that went up today on Bunkerzilla. Um, I finally, finally, finally get a chance to talk in depth about one of my favourite directors and, and one of his most underrated films. And then we will... Still, the season's not completely over because we had a last-minute discussion online with... Um, a film producer and, and film critic um, about a, sub, a topic that we have been avoiding for a couple of years on Hustlers now. And so we were like, let's just record it and bang it out as a special. So um, next week there will be a special Hustlers of Culture in which oh, we finally look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the problems therein. <laughs> well, you mean other than the fact it's a Tarantino movie. Oh, oh and oh, we Hugh, get into... why would you do that? Yeah. Be, be, I, you, I... You, you'll hear why, but the best part is our guest host describing Quentin Tarantino as a white supremacist. It's wonderful. <gasps> I love it. A um, uh, quick shout back to the previous one. This comes from uh, Loki. Uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce this. Uh, Lo- Lyoko. Uh, Lo- Lyoko is great. I wish more people understood my disability better. Uh, I asked if she, if they thought uh, representation helped with that, and their response was, I think it has, but sometimes it feels like it's better with some disabilities than with others. I think that's a very fair point. Uh, it is able to handle ones better. Um, back to what Hugh was saying, because, you know, firing all citizens. Hustlers co- culture, incredibly great stuff. And if you have got a chance to check out the history behind the person who made Wonder Woman, please do, because lesbian sex romp BDSM um, also not safe for work. polyamory <laughs> is just brilliant reading. It Gotta was... love the polys. Oh, and, and watching, because our first episode back for season three of Real History will be Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Yes, which mm. is... Um, Good film. Amazing story. Yeah. Anyway, Wonder Woman 1984. No, I'm uh, not saying that. No, but there probably will be a lot of. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Lycra in that trailer. But that all came from Fandom, and I I have opinions about Fandom and DC's opinion to split it in half three days before the off. Anyway, Claire, have you had fun? And what are you up to? I've had an absolute blast. Um, I make video games for my day job, but my side hustle with my wife is we do books and comics on flammablepenguins.com. So she's got a trilogy of magical books up there. And I've got a comic about game dev stories, real stories from the games industry, all anonymized so we don't get sued, but all 100% true. And then I stream on Twitch at 8.30 every morning. Um, So 8.30 every weekday morning, we do uh, a stream about various stuff so you can come watch me. Uh, there sometimes i get called on to that (laughs) yeah it's good fun it's good fun um but yeah that's that's mostly i just work in video games but yeah when i when i can when i can get time away i do comics and do the the stream cool that's cool yeah we're 
we don't need to know about your day job because if we start talking about day jobs, everyone finds out I'm dull as mud. So, <laughs> oh, I think, I think you and I can have a competition on that one, Andrew. No, no, uh, no, me, no, no, no. Um, I'm loud, obnoxious. I'm here on uh, Bunkerzilla UK every Sunday. We're doing a Dragon Age Origins Let's Play, and we will be doing the rest of them once we've finished Origins, if we can get past the next part of the game, because I hate it. And I'm just like, I'm not avoiding this by doing every other quest I can find. Um but yeah, uh, come find me on social media. I have, um, it's A underscore redheads underscore ramblings. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on, yeah, I'm just on everywhere. So come find me. Come say hi. If you've got questions, want to talk, have a discussion about, you know, being a nerd and what it's like to be, you know, disabled in the nerd community. It's something that I can talk about at length because it's my life. Cool. And finally, thank you. Um, to sorry, the Twitch stream's ex literally exploding, much like uh, less much much like lesbian um, TikTok. Um, but with less nicely painted now, I don't know. Uh, thank you to everyone who has been in the peanut gallery and joining in on the conversation. Special thanks go to uh, Leoko is great for being our first ever subscriber. Thank you so much. Uh, Claire also gets a shout out for being our second ever subscriber, which is also pretty awesome. So thank you. You obviously enjoyed to stay here. Uh, if you liked this show, I think someone does. Uh, if you like the shows, <laughs> please tell your friends. And if you want to be in the peanut gallery, then join us here at 8 p.m. on Thursday the 10th and Thursday the 24th of September. Yes, that is right. Because we can't contain the mad computer discussion and analysis to one stage session station health and safety demanded that we have that we now stomp on the second and last thursday of each month uh the very lovely ian will be taking the host chair on the 10th and i'll be here as usual on the 24th of september so yes if you have a topic for the stompers to discuss fire it off to at bunkerzilla uk on twitter anytime you wonder what we wonder about the wonderment that is the geek culture world if you want to take part in a big stomp please let us know uh we do mostly get pe drag people out from the bunkers of the bunker but we also like having special guests such as the wonderful claire uh don't forget there's tons of exciting stuff broadcast on here which includes tomorrow night see the returns of quiz smash hosted by station controller where three contestants will hopefully make reigning champion moly cry by beating him at the geekiest of quiz shows available that's at 8 p.m. Uh, play along, giggle as the challenges, goof the questions you managed to get right. Sunday, we have Lizzie and her continuing Dragon Age Origins adventures. No, you don't. Why are you shaking your head? I am shaking. Well, who's shaking their head? You're shaking your head at me saying uh, that we got... I, I was shaking, shaking my head at you saying we're going to make Rolly cry by taking the quiz crowd away from him. No, we're not going to take the crowd away so from then him. Just punch him in the tits. That'll make him cry. <laughs> uh, next Wednesday, she's returned... Punch him in the stick with a long pike. Uh, anyway, next Wednesday, sees the return of Film World with Ian and Christian reviewing the new mutants because they've gone and seen it and I probably won't have. And some really obscure indie film called Tenet. Tenant? Tenet? I don't know. Not heard, not heard about it. Yeah. It's not the David Tennant biography, so I don't care. Uh, or to not have to remember any of that. Hit the follow button, have Twitch tell you what is on whenever we're doing stuff. 
Uh, it's just so much simpler. Uh, don't forget to check out bunkerzilla.co.uk for the amazing Trash or Treasure articles that are allegedly weekly. We've got a mini review of, of Tiant. Uh, and we've got a wonderful podcast in there, including Hustlers of Culture, Real History UK. All that's available on bunkerzilla.co.uk and all good podcast providers, along with a couple of shit ones. Right, that's enough promo. Uh, so this is actually the goodbye bit. So from everyone in the bunker, good night. Bye, everyone. Good night. Bye.